I'm so glad that you've joined us for this fifth session of the Spirit, Soul, and Body series. You know, every session is just so powerful. And I've just been sensing the Spirit of God in such a profound way as we've been ministering on this topic. I believe it is a topic so close to his heart, so very close to his heart. And that's why he's been manifesting like he has, praise God. You know, if you want to see God, you, you want to get God, you, we need to minister on subjects that really that cause him to move, that cause him to really affirm and confirm, you know, that which we're sharing on. And this, again, is a subject so close to his heart. God is a spirit. And if we're going to enter into intimacy with God, we have to understand what is spirit and what is soul. And we have to understand that what is spirit will cause us to enter into intimacy with God. And that which is solical, that which is apart from God, that which opposes God, that which is of the soul, that which is of the flesh, hallelujah, that which is of the world, that it will promote uh, a negation, uh, an estrangement regarding intimacy. And we need fearfully to stay away from it. Our main proof text for this session comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I believe a verse that is familiar, but one that we will elaborate on in a way that I believe that will cause increased revelation to come to you, no matter how much revelation, praise God, that you have on it. The Bible says, For the word of God is quick and alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, one way to walk in victory is to understand what's of the spirit and what's of the soul. So often we get the two confused. For example, with church, I hear people a lot of times saying, well, I'm going to see where the Lord leads me to go to church. Well, there is a reality to being led to where you go to church. But really, uh, the first uh, premise of being led to a church as walking in light, light. God will never lead you to a church that is beneath the light or contrary to the light that you already have. I mean, walking according to the light, light scripturally is profoundly important to God. I mean, if you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, if you believe in the new birth, if you believe in the word of faith, if you believe in worship, if, if you believe in, in evangelism, I mean, you've got to go to a church with like light. Some study says, well, I'm going to go to that dead church and I'm going to breathe life into them. Well, that's not scriptural. The Bible says, do not be unevenly yoked. Uh, they're going to take you down more than you're going to lift them up. Jesus said this. He said, you know what? I am spirit. Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. If you're going to walk with God, you need to go to a church, hallelujah, that believes, hallelujah, according to the light that you've been given. So it's not a matter of being led by the spirit. It's a matter of entering in to letting the word of God, hallelujah, lead you. See, a lot of times we have lead poisoning. You know, in all honesty, I, I mean, I'm going to be led to see if God wants me to do this. I'm going to be led to see if God wants me to do this. Well, if the Word of God tells you to do it, then you're led to do it. If the Word of God tells you not to do it, you're led not to do it, praise God. You see, it's not a matter of leading as much as it is the Word of God dividing between soul and spirit. I, I never forget a young couple that I helped disciple. They went to, uh, they moved uh, to a certain uh, locality, and I asked them where they were going to church, and they were hesitant, so I knew that something would not rot. And finally, they, they spilled the beans, so to speak, and said, well, 
or going to a, a, a spirit-filled church, but the, the couple that pastors it, uh, they both have been divorced, and uh, the, the husband had a vision that he was divorced, his wife, and she had a vision that she was divorced, her husband, and they came together, and now they're pastoring this church. Now, I told them immediately to get out of that church. It wasn't a matter of leading. It was a matter of biblical common sense. It was a matter of the Word of God. They both entered into the adultery through deception. And if you're going to submit yourself to them, the same spirits that caused them to enter into that reality are going to work on your marriage. Uh, and th thankfully, they're out of that church now. But you see, we need to walk by the Word of God first. We need to walk by the Word of God foremost. Hallelujah. A lot of times, it's not a matter, again, of praying about something. It's not a matter of leading. It's a matter, praise God, of entering into the place of simply abiding by the Word of God. You know, God is not going to tell you to leave your spouse. Hallelujah. God is not going to tell you to go to a church that's contrary to like light. But if there are a number of churches or, or a few churches in your locality of like light, then you have to pray to be led by the Holy Ghost, by the Spirit, to see which one you're supposed to go to. Now, what I want you to see is this. As a child of God, hallelujah, we have the ability to discern what is from the Spirit and what is from the soul. And first and foremost, as Hebrews 4.12 shares, the Word of God is our guiding light. You know, the entrance of His Word, Psalm 119, 130, giveth light. The Word of God has to be first and foremost. Hallelujah. And I tell you what, you need to be in the Word so the Word can be in you. Hallelujah. And when the Word's in you, that's when, praise God, it will guide you. Hallelujah. You'll live by it. You know, we need to fearfully enter into the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I would fear not walking by the Word of God. You know, one scripture verse that you override by your natural man, one scripture verse that you throw out can destroy your life. I was ministering in a certain denomination uh, uh, years ago. And the pastor said, there's not many evangelical pastors here. I'm thinking of getting out, and he should have gotten out. And he said, you know, one phrase changed our whole denomination. The theologians that dominated the denomination, they uh, came up with this uh, saying. They said, we believe that the Word of God, can, we believe that the Bible contains the Word of God, rather than saying that the Bible is the Word of God. See, they, 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 don't, they said it contains the Word of God. So that means they had the liberty to find out uh, what scriptures uh, they felt were relevant to today's society and what, what weren't. They're ordaining homosexuality and homosexuals and everything else. And I, I'm not somebody that degrades homosexuals in the sense that I believe they can be saved, delivered, set free. But I am somebody that will indeed uh, proclaim the reality that it is sin. And, and certainly it is a sin of great proportions. Now, we have to, again, we have to enter into the reality of fearfully walking with God. What does it mean to walk with God in a fearful way? Well, it means to never override either his word or his spirit. You see, we need to enter into a place whereby uh, we understand that really, I, really, my favorite poster, and I, I love posters and bumper stickers, you know, and, and uh, T-shirts with different sayings. And uh, one of the, my favorite posters, in fact, I was uh, ministering to a college president, a university president, not that long ago, and he started to really uh, try to negate the reality of the Bible being the Word of God. And I, I, you know, I shared with him, you know, the, you know, the log logistical realities. 
you know, uh, and, and, you know, to try to encourage him, but he still was resistant. And I, before I left, I simply said, Doc, I'll tell you what, I saw a poster and, and it said this. It said, there are two main truths in the world. The first truth is that there is a God. The second truth is that you're not him. And we need to understand that we're not God. And like Adam and Eve who tried to usurp the very nature of God, I, I tell you, we need to understand that we need to say whatever the word says, I believe. Whatever the word says, I will do. Whatever the word says, I will be. Whatever the word says, I will proclaim. I will worship. I will praise. I will do. I will pray it into me. I, I, glory to God, no matter what. Oh, hallelujah. No matter how hard it seems. I mean, the Bible says, praise God, that, you know, we're, we're to die daily to our flesh. It says that, you know, we're to bless those who persecute us. You know, some of those things are hard to forgive those who, 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 who try to come against us. But you know what? As we enter into fearfully walking before the word of God, that's when we're going to enter into victory. Amen. Well, when you enter into the word of God, that's when you're going to be able to hear the voice of God. And you see, there are certain things that, you know, that you can't look into your Bible and just find in the sense of, you know, what job you're supposed to take, you know, who you're supposed to marry, what house you're supposed to buy. You know, you know, you have to be led by the spirit. What's of the spirit and what's of the soul? Again, the soul is the emotional part of us, the uh, mental part of us it is our personality, our willpower, our mind. And uh, our soul is good long as it's in the subjection of our spirit. So when I'm talking about our soul now, as a, our, our soul being um, really uh, by the word of God being pierced with a two-edged sword so we can discern what's of soul and spirit, I'm talking about the soul that's, in, 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 that's not good and the soul that really negates the spirit, the mind that exalts itself above the word of God, the emotions that take precedence against the word of God, the personality that would supersede the word of God, the willpower that would negate the reality of grace. And but I, you got to ask yourself, what's of the spirit and what's of the soul? Well, God always leads us by joy and peace. For example, if I am uh, going to, if I, if somebody's single and they're and they're seeking a mate, they have to obviously not be go by the word of God first. They they can't be unevenly yoked. That person has to be saved. That person should be on their same level spiritually with the same vision. But you know what? You know then what? Well, then you got to be led by your by the Spirit of God, and and all I can tell you is this: the person that God has for you, they will stand out to your spirit as no one else. Glory to God. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon, I mean, she will stand out even though there might be ten thousand lilies in the valley. There's that one lily, praise God, that's going to stand out, and they will be the lily of the valley to you. I was ministering that truth to one young man. He was a very uh, prominent uh, young man, a, a great athlete at the university. He said, you mean it's just not lily, lilies, lilies everywhere? I said, no, it's one lily that's going to stand out, praise God, and hallelujah. One rose that's going to stand out, the rose of Sharon. Well, he married a wonderful girl, praise God, and has an awesome family and ministry today. But I tell you what, it's not lilies, lilies everywhere. Hallelujah. It is one lily that's going to stand out. It's not going to stand out, praise God, to your soul necessarily. It's going to stand out to your spirit. I'll never forget, I had a young man come to me and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, um, he was a very uh, astute young man, very good looking young man. And he said, uh, the girl that I'm thinking about, um, 
entering into a dating relationship with. Uh, she isn't uh, the most beautiful girl that I've ever had the opportunity to be with. But she is just somebody that stands out to me. I think she's awesome. I said, praise God. I said, you're walking by your spirit. Now, you don't negate somebody because they're pretty, but you don't negate somebody else because they don't meet your standard of, of being handsome or being beautiful or whatever. I'll tell you what, God sanctifies that part. Praise God. God joins your spirits together. Hallelujah. Not your souls, but then he works on your soul. Praise God. And th th he married that young lady to have a wonderful relationship. Praise God. But you see, the world, they, they work in, in the context of comparison. I mean, on a one to 10, is she a 10? Is she a nine? Is he an eight? Is he a seven? And they, they work on that gauge of comparison. I tell you, you cannot gauge your spouse. Praise God. Oh, man. See, in your spirit, she's a 10, not because she's met some carnal list, but because, hallelujah, she's got something inside of her that God put there that nobody else has, and there'll never be anybody else for you except her. Glory to Jesus. Oh, glory to God. I, I mean, mm, my Jesus. But you see, th that spirit. You see, the, the solical man. The man that, the person that's even a Christian, but operates in a carnal way. He doesn't see things like that. that that's why he enters into the sexual sin and pornography and, and even divorce and adultery. But I tell you what, you know, I don't care if you're 70 years old. You know what? And oh, glory to God. Here's an amazing fact. It's an amazing statistic. Uh, I always thought that the number of cases of adultery would, you know, it'd be most prevalent like when somebody's in their 20s or 30s. But you know when adultery is most prevalent? It's when someone's in their 50s for most men or women. Why is that? Well, when you're in your mid-50s might be that, you know, the woman, her uh, physical appearance starts to wane somewhat. It might be the man's physical appearance starts to wane. But so instead of seeing that person in the spirit, they begin to see them through the soul. Hmm. And when they see them through the soul, it doesn't see that, oh my, they have a false gauge. And instead of entering into glory, hallelujah, in that one through their spirit. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. Your wife needs to become more beautiful with you. To you, I mean, every day of your life. So when you're 70, praise God, I mean, she's more beautiful than she was when she was 20. Glory to God. But see, when if you walk in the solical, I tell you, the seven-year itch, the middle-age crosses, this or that, you'll succumb to it. But if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. We're going to get gut level here, praise God. Amen? If we haven't already. You say, well, I think we're getting quite gut level now. Well, you just wait. Amen. Praise God. See, I'm sharing with those, I believe, who are mature. You see, our ministry certainly is for the, the young believer. But our ministry, we give meat, praise God. And the Bible says those he loves, those who are producing fruit, he prunes. Did you ever see a tree that's pruned? I mean, some things are chopped off. I mean, if you're going to grow, you're going to have to be pruned, praise God. This will help you be pruned today. Amen. Don't turn off the CD. Amen. Just keep entering in. And I know you are, praise God. But see, we need to be able to discern what's of the spirit and what's of the soul. I know so many ministers, they've entered in to opportunity rather than ordination. And I tell you what, opportunity is of the soul. Ordination is of the spirit. I, I've had many opportunities to pastor larger churches than the one I have now. But there's a difference between ordination and opportunity. I'm not going to enter into opportunity through the soul. 
I'm going to enter into ordination through the Spirit. Now, it can be God's will to, to enter into changing churches from going from 500 to 5,000. But if it's an opportunity, but your spirit doesn't bear witness, if the Holy Ghost doesn't bear witness, if it's of the soul and of the spirit, I'll tell you, then it's wrong. I don't care how good the opportunity. I'll tell you what, someone says, how do I know whether it's of my spirit or my soul? I guarantee you this. You walk with Jesus. You put the word of God in you. You seek God. The Bible says he will lead you forth with joy and peace. Hallelujah. That, and, and Oh, glory to God. In Isaiah, hallelujah, chapter 55. He will lead you forth in joy and in peace. Praise God. That's the way God does things. He leads you forth in joy and peace. And see, that is so exciting. I mean, that, that's just how God works, praise God, through joy and peace. See, not through the soul, but through the Spirit, praise God. I, I tell you, we're, oh, glory to God. There's just so, so much there. Glory to God. I mean, mm, Jesus. I, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It's just so exciting to me. You know, uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. For you should go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Mm. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in a sing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Oh, glory to God. Isaiah 55, 12. You see, so often people want worldly success as opposed to spiritual success. You know, if I'm pastoring a bigger church, if I have this and I have that, if I have more radio stations, if I'm on more radio stations than the other guy, more TV stations than this guy, I'm here to tell you this. You enter in to destiny through ordination, you will be the most successful person on the day of judgment that there is. And a lot of those people that had the radio stations that came by opportunity rather than ordination, I'll be honest with you. I would not want to be them when they stand before Jesus. And you might say, well, you know, Jesus is just going to, God's just going to see the blood. He's not going to see us. Can I tell you something? You're deceived. The Bible teaches us emphatically, empirically, that there is a judgment where Jesus will just see the spirit that you live by, your righteousness through Jesus Christ. But there's also a judgment wherein everything you've done in your body will be judged, good and bad. You read the book of 1 Corinthians if you don't believe it. Amen. All right. Now, let's, let's keep going on with this. We talked about uh, opportunity rather than ordination. We talked about choosing a mate. That's the same thing with a job. I mean, I think you, you do things that are scripturally first. I mean, for example, if, uh, if I'm in a, in a church where I know that I'm in covenant with somebody, I'm not going to move just because there's a better job opportunity. I believe it's scriptural to stay. At the same time, uh, if God is leading me to leave, and I can say the Spirit of God has borne witness with my spirit and has told me to leave, then it's something totally different. But you, you have to discern what's of the spirit and what's of the soul. You know, somebody that has a dream. Is that dream of the soul you just ate too much pizza the night before? Or is it of the spirit, something that God has, has, has bore witness with your spirit that it's a, a dream of God? I'm buying a house. You know, uh, again, you have to use biblical principles. I mean, if the house is going to be uh, get you into debt in a way that's unseemly, you certainly you don't buy the house. But if it's a nice house, it's, it's a good price. You pray about it and see whether it's of the spirit or of the soul. It's so important to do that. Uh, let me give you a concrete example. A number of years ago, I was uh, driving my car. I was in the Pittsburgh area. 
And I was in a fairly bad section of town. I really, I went to uh, see my mother-in-law. She wasn't doing the greatest. And uh, I went to see her. My wife was staying with her at the time. And uh, I was driving back to my father's house. And uh, a man was hitchhiking. And and in my spirit, I just felt good about picking him up. See, but see, I just didn't do what I thought. I tried the spirit. And what do I mean by trying the spirit? Well, I said, Lord, do you want me to pick him up? Do you not want me to pick him up? And in my spirit, there was just a peace. There was a peace in my spirit. So I picked him up, shared the gospel with him, and there was great deliverance that was realized. The next night, the very next night, almost in the very same place, there was a man hitchhiking. Again, a very bad section of Pittsburgh. Very bad. Uh, I, but I had to go through this area. And, uh, you know, immediately my mind said, well, you had great success Last night, it was about one in the morning, I, you know, picking a hitchhiker up. Surely it must be God. Maybe God's giving you a minister to hitchhikers. But when, and I, I almost, I really, I slowed down to pick him up. And there's something in my spirit that just, there was turmoil in my spirit. There wasn't peace. There wasn't joy. It just, it just didn't seem right. And I sped up. And as I sped up, I saw in my rearview mirror, there were three young men behind this young man hiding with clubs and knives. That's a true story. Thank God I sped up and paid, amen, I gave credence to my spirit. It is so important to walk by our spirit, man, and not by our solical man. Now, in the area of giving, I'll be honest with you, you know, you obviously you give your tithes, amen, to your local church, you give offerings, you know, to the building fund. But then there's other places to give offerings. I try to give, you know, um, 10% to my local church. I try to give 5% in offerings to my local church. Then I try to give another 10%. This is me personally now, to uh, outside organizations, five-fold ministry. And uh, where do I give? How much do I give? I have to be led by the Spirit. And, uh, you know, there's sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I mean, the person taking the offering is just manipulative and they're trying to make you feel bad to give. Well, you know what? If you give because you feel bad, you feel condemned if you don't, that's not of your spirit. That's of your soul. See, uh, if you give just because there's an emotional appeal, but you know in your heart God's not telling you to give, that's very wrong. You're not going to get blessed in giving because you're giving through the soul rather than giving through your spirit. God wants us to give in a spirit-led way. Amen. All right. Now, what I want to enter into at this time, I want us to enter into the reality of the spirit life versus the soul life. The spirit life versus the soul life. What I find, and I'm going to be very honest with you, and this is where we're going to get gut level. We're going to get very gut level. What I find in Christianity today is that There is what I call a Christianized soul, a Christianized soul life as opposed to true spirit life. And I'm going to get real gut level here. For example, in salvation itself, Jesus, when people came to him, he made them aware of the price they had to pay. The rich young ruler said, man, I want to follow you. He said, well, let's, let's see how much you want to follow me. Before you follow me, before I will let you follow me, I want you to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. 
Wow. A man comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. But I need to go back and take care of some things at home first. Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. A man doesn't follow me and then look back. Somebody else comes to him and says, Lord, I want to follow you. And he says, I'm going to tell you something. The foxes has holes. You know, the, uh, the foxes have dens. And, you know, the lions have dens. Foxes have holes. Son of man has no place to lay his head. Wow. Why did he say to this man or to the rich young ruler, man, I tell you what, that's awesome. Just come follow me. You see, he was trying to get across the point, and he, he obviously did. The rich young man understood. The other people he shared with, they understood the price. Jesus said this, when a man sees the kingdom of God, he sells all that he has, and then, praise God, gives everything for the treasure that's in that. He buys that field wherein the treasure is, and then, man, he sells everything, and then he digs up that treasure. Glory to God. And, of course, that treasure exemplified him. I'm here to tell you something. We share the gospel, not in a spirit manner most times, in our society. We share it in a solical manner. You know, if that rich young ruler would come to most churches today, I mean, we would accommodate him, appease him, thank him, almost beg him to join our church. Jesus wouldn't let him in the church house, but we would beg him to come in because we'd want his money. Because we don't understand the gospel. Because we are more solical than spiritual. Our mind says, you know what? Oh man, he wants Jesus, right? As opposed to our spirit communicating the cost. People to get in the church that way will destroy the church. Wow. You say, pastor, that's strong. Man, I, I never heard teaching like that. Praise God, that's why you're listening. Hallelujah. It's for real. I tell you, seeker-friendly churches. I'm not opposed, you know what I'm saying, to, to making people feel comfortable in the sense that you, you meet them where they're at, you know, that type of thing. They don't have to wear, a, you know, a suit and a tie to come to our church. But I have real problems when you have a doctrine of appeasement where you can't pray in tongues because you think it offends somebody. Can I tell you something? That's offensive to Jesus. I'd rather offend somebody than offend Jesus. Where did you ever read in the Bible that you're not supposed to be offensive? Here, here's G Can I tell you something? You go into the church house and your pastor calls out and says, you know what? There's people here that are whitewashed tombs. There are people here that are the blind leading the blind. There's people here that aren't going to enter into heaven. There's people here that are going to enter into hell for eternity that need to repent. And then he casts out a few demons to puke on the floor. A few demons that can cause that person to convulse. And you look up, but that person you invite and say, that's my pastor. Can I tell you something? That's Jesus. Did you ever read where Jesus cast out demon after demon in the synagogue? Did you ever read where Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in a very straightforward way? Did you ever read where Jesus rebuked a church that literally ended up trying to kill him walking through their midst? His life was saved through the authority exercised because he told them, that they weren't children of Abraham like they said they were. He told them that, man, there was a, a woman, a widow woman that wasn't under covenant. They got fed. There was a leper named Naaman that got healed. They weren't even under covenant, but all the people under covenant didn't get touched by God because they weren't walking with God. 
and they tried to kill him. What gospel do we share? Do we share a gospel through our spirits based on the word of God? Or do we share a gospel through our soul that says, you know what? If we give somebody Krispy Kremes to get them in, Starbucks coffee at the gate, we don't pray in tongues. We don't worship like we know we should. We don't make the service too long. We accommodate them. We appease them. We even play secular songs, you know, at the altar call. I mean, people are, are playing in seeker-friendly churches. I mean, the Moody Blues, you know, at the altar call. I told one pastor the problem with playing the Moody Blues to get somebody saved, you got to get them delivered by three-dog night. It's time to walk with Jesus according to the Word of God. I don't know about you. But when I'm in a service like that, my spirit is separated from my soul. And I tell you what, I see what's in the spirit and what's in my soul and what's in my spirit I'm going to go with. I can't afford to be in a church like that. And I don't care how big it is. And there's a deception right there. Whoever said bigger is better. Where did you ever read that? Jesus in John chapter 6 because he shared about eating of his body and drinking of his blood, lost 90% of his congregation. He even asked Peter, will you leave too? Well, what a failure in ministry. I'm going to tell you something. Bigger is fine. Bigger is good if it's through the Spirit. But it doesn't mean anything. I would rather have 50 people equipped by God, giving themselves to Jesus, bearing, doing the works of God. The, I'd rather be in a church of 50, being equipped to do the works of God, entering into intimacy with God, than being in a church of 5,000 where I don't get fed like I do in a church with 50. Mm, that's a profound deception. A lot of church people go to church because it's bigger. Somehow they think by correlating themselves with bigger, they're going to be better. And they're just deceived. And they hide. And the very sins that were recognized in the smaller church aren't dealt with in the bigger church. And they think they're okay. They're not okay. They're just hidden. Mm, Jesus. Spirit versus soul. Again, when you come to Jesus, you need to know that you're coming to Jesus to get Jesus. Not to get cherry pie and ice cream and cake. And you need to know the price you're going to pay. First thing that Jesus did when he appeared to the apostle Paul, knocked him off that horse. He said, here's the deal. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And here's the price you need to pay if you're going to follow me. That sounds like the same Jesus that walked the earth before he was resurrected. That's the same Jesus now. Can I tell you something? If you get saved by accommodation and appeasement, you're going to get offended and you're not going to walk with the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. All right, let's continue to go on. Praise God. We're talking about spirit versus soul. Spirit life versus soul life. I said that so many Christians have what I call a counterfeit uh, spirit life. They simply have a Christianized soul. I mean, they got the bumper stickers on their car. They go to this church. You know, they, they, they got the Christian t-shirts. They got this. But they're still not living the life. You know, I, I heard a story as in, through Joyce Meyer Ministries, who I appreciate so much. And uh, I guess it's a true story. There was a, there was a lady that, uh, I mean, she had bumper stickers all over her car. 
You know, I work for a Jewish carpenter. You know, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, I mean, just trust Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. And, you know, all anything you can think of had the fish on her window. And um, she was uh, stopped by a police officer. And she wasn't doing anything wrong, seemingly. And the police officer took her into the station. And uh, she said, uh, well, you know, what did I do wrong? Well, he said, I'll be honest with you, ma'am. He said, I saw you cutting off people in traffic. I saw you yelling at the, the, the one uh, guy that didn't even hardly do anything to you. I, I, I mean, I literally heard you cursing, you know, your windows down as I pulled up beside you. He said, I just assumed this car was stolen. He said, I saw all the Christian bumper stickers on your car, saw your behavior, and I just assumed the car was stolen. Can I tell you this? Just because you got Christian t-shirts, Christian bumper stickers, and even go to a, a church that, you know, shares the gospel in some way, it doesn't mean you're walking in the Spirit. We need to understand that Jesus Christ is about intimacy. He's about being broken in the sense that, man, when you think of his name, you weep. I don't think you can take God's name in vain and say you're walking in the Spirit. I know Christians, that people that say they're Christians and take God's name in vain. I, I, I could never do that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Christianity, uh, walking by your spirit is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's being broken in the sense of you weep when you hear the name of Jesus. It's, it's living a consecrated life. It's being immersed and enthralled with worship, the word of God. Seeing witnessing as a privilege rather than an obligation. Just wanting to spend every minute you can with Jesus. You see, we need to understand what's of the spirit and what's of the soul. I have so many people, and, and it's almost like, and this is why I think so many people go back. I mean, there's such a high percentage of people that accept Christ and then go back into the world. And you read about it in your Bible. Now, there's a, you know, the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved that I don't believe in any more than the man on the moon. I mean, you read the Bible. The Bible says, you know, in the book of Judah, it talks about those who are twice dead. Well, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and then you were saved. How can you be twice dead if you, don't, if you can't get twice dead? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that if you sin willfully after coming to the knowledge of the truth, tasting of Jesus Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. I'm here to tell you, if there's no sacrifice for your sins, you're not saved anymore. Now, there is a reality. There's those who believe that, you know, if you do something wrong, you lose your salvation. I think it's hard to lose your salvation. It is hard to lose your salvation. But I believe it can be lost. It's a free gift, but you can give it back. But, but I'm here to tell you this. A lot of people go back because they never enter into tasting of what real spirit life is. I mean, they get saved, they get an initial thrill, but it's almost like their life is not that much different than somebody that's not saved. I mean, they curse like others. They look at pornography like others. They get more excited about sports than they do about Jesus. It's like the world. And I believe it's because they've never fully tasted of Jesus Christ. They never learned to walk by their spirit. also believe that they go back because 
They never enter in to learning to walk by the grace of God to making it work. Glory to God. We need to teach people how to make it work. You see, a lot of people try God's word. You don't try God's word. Man, that, that, that's a recipe for, de for deception and destruction. You don't try God's word. You work God's word until it works. Glory to Jesus. You don't try marriage. Glory to God. You enter into marriage and covenant and it will work for you. Glory to Jesus. Now, again, I'm speaking to you as mature. I'm speaking to you as mature. Glory to Jesus. But I want you to understand this. We need to be able to understand experientially what spirit life is and soul life is. There are so many people. I mean, there are, you know, younger Christians, you know, college age, high school age, and, and even beyond. You know, I get asked this all the time. You know, how far can I go sexually? I'm, I'm, I'm in a dating relationship. And I always look at them and say, not real far. I tell them this. What do you think Jesus would do? They usually bow their head in shame. But it's not to hurt them, it's to bless them. What would Jesus do? Jesus is there. He's watching you. You know, if that was your sister, would you want her treated like you're treating this girl? How about this one? Don't do the other men's daughters what you don't want to have done to your own. Wow. Pastor, you're getting strong. Well, doesn't some, isn't it time somebody is? Now, I'm going to say something that's very, very strong. And I believe that it'll change your life if you get it. Now, listen to this. The presence of God is to your spirit what sexual sin is to the soul. Wow. Now, when I'm talking about the soul, I'm talking about somebody that's living by their emotions above the word of God, the heart of God, mm, the person of God. Now, listen to this. The act of marriage when in righteousness is infinitely more glorious to the spirit than sexual sin is to the soul. Wow. Glory to God. Let's look at that. Here's the reason that so many Christians struggle with sexual sin, both men and women, whether it's pornography, whether it's fornication, premarital sex, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's adultery, whether it's swinging, whatever it is. The reason they struggle with sexual sin is because they don't know the difference between their spirit and their soul. They have not entered in the spirit life so they don't understand how bad it is or how glorious righteousness is. Can I tell you this? You know, if, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, if you're in a swimming meet and you put on football uniform with shoulder pads and a helmet, can I tell you something? You're going to sink. You're not made to wear a football uniform in a swimming pool. You're going to sink. Can I tell you this? You're not made to walk in the flesh. Someone says, well, she's appealing to me. 
No, she's not appealing to your spirit. She's appealing to your soul. See, when you live by your spirit, you see things through the word of God. You see things, hallelujah, through your spirit. I'll never forget. Uh, years ago, I mean, when Jimmy Swaggart fell, some of you remember that years ago, and different ministers fell into sexual sin. I had a denominational pastor, Christian Merritt, a missionary alliance pastor, one of my best friends, and he came to me and was crying. I said, what are you crying for? He said, who can make it? You know, he was referring to that pastor that fell. I said, well, I can, and just smiled. You see, when you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to enter in to the flesh. I'll share something very personal with you. Glory to God. I was involved in campus ministry for many years. And I'll never forget, I was, uh, really, I was sharing the gospel door to door. And uh, usually I share in twos, but this particular time I, I couldn't uh, find someone to go out with me. I went out with, uh, and I, so I was only sharing in the men's dorms. And uh, I knocked on the door and uh, someone said, come in. I couldn't discern. The, the voice was kind of muffled. But uh, and it, was a, it was a guy's room, but there was a girl in there. And very simply, she was in a very promiscuous uh, uh, setting. And uh, when I saw her in that way and she tried to solicit me in that way, I looked at her and I, I simply said this to her. I, never, I said, I feel very sorry for you that you'd have to enter into this lower form of life. And I, and I said, first of all, I said, if I wasn't married, I said, I, I wouldn't come within 50 feet of you, but I am married. But I said, you know what? I said, Jesus can deliver you. Well, she began to shed a tear and I just left her through a pamphlet on a chair and then I, I left. But I shared that testimony. I had some guys come and said, well, I, man, that, that wasn't that difficult. I, I said it was no more difficult than not eating dog food today. No more difficult than not eating dog food. See, I don't eat dog food because I'm not a dog. I'm not attracted to sin because I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. My spirit saw her in a way that caused me to feel sorry for her and share the gospel. My spirit saw her in a way that caused me to say, absolutely, there's nothing there. Now, unfortunately, there's so many men that aren't in that place. Why aren't they? Because they're walking by their soul rather than by their spirit. See, your soul, my emotions may be elicited. Images may be elicited. You've got to say, this is not who I am. I, God is a spirit. I am a child of God. I am a spirit. I walk by my spirit. I see through my spirit. I hear through my spirit. I live through my spirit. Sexual sin is not appealing to me because it's of the flesh and I am of the spirit. Now, Anybody can revert to making a decision to let the soul reign. Is there pleasure in solical sin? Sure, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin. But I'm here to tell you this. There's also destruction. There's estrangement and there's destruction. 
that we can't even put a finger on and how destructive it is. You see, so many people have not tasted of the Lord Jesus Christ in fullness. I, I tell you, I know about you, but the presence of Jesus does something to me that I can't even explain. But you see, so many Christians have not entered into the presence because they've been saved, but they don't go to a church where worship is allowed to be expressed. So they've never entered in to the glory of his presence. I remember when I was a very young Christian, I uh, was a fairly good runner in, in, in college. And uh, as a freshman, I had qualified. I was one of our better runners as a freshman, and we had a state championships coming up. 14 uh, state schools in Pennsylvania. And I hurt my leg. I had shin splints real bad, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to run. And we had an off week between our last meet and our, the state championship meet, which was also a qualifier for the national championships. And we had a very good team, and uh, I was blessed to be one of the better runners on the team. And at that time, and uh, I, I was, you know, discouraged. Young Christian, less than a year old in the Lord. And I, you know, I'm hurt, and, you know, a lot of the kids on the team aren't Christians, not living right. They're okay. I didn't understand it. But I said, Lord, I love you. I'm not going to let this get in my way with you. And, and I was at a service, and, and Jesus was just there through the worship. I mean, the manifest presence of Jesus. And I, I felt a fire go through my leg. And a man stepped up to the podium and said, fire has just gone through somebody's right leg and healed them. Well, it was so new to me, I, I didn't even know what to do. He said it again, then he said it a third time. And I acknowledged it was me. I was every with whole. See, I was whole through the presence. I tell you, the presence of Jesus, it does something to me that I can't explain. I tell you, I would, I, I would give anything, you know, to be in that presence. I would give anything for it. You know, there are people, praise God, in, 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 in different countries that literally risk their lives for the corporate anointing on a Sunday morning. It's not because they don't have a Bible. They, they just know the glory of it. Yet in today's society, in many countries like America, I mean, you have to struggle. It's a struggle to get people to church for an hour. When people in other countries will walk for four hours to get to church, risk their lives to be there. Why? Because they're living by their spirit as opposed to their soul. I, I tell you, the presence of Jesus there's nothing like it. I tell you, the more you get, the more you want. You know, there can be an addiction to, in your spirit in a good way, just like there can be an addiction in your soul in a bad way. I tell you what, America is an addicted society. We can't even have uh, a leave on the shelves of stores because people are even addicted to it. And millions upon millions upon millions are addicted to drugs of every kind, prescription drugs, marijuana, cocaine, whatever you can think of, oxycotton, whatever you can think of. We're a society that's addicted. You know, I have people all the time, they say, you know, why, you know, don't you, uh, you know, uh, do this and do that? And I tell them this, 
It's because I don't have a need for it. I don't have a desire for it. But more than that, it doesn't do anything for me. Now, and this is where I'm going to get gut level. You know, I'm not talking about legalism. It's okay to go to a baseball game. It's okay to watch a football game on TV. But I'll tell you what's not okay. When you watch a football game 10, 12, 15 hours a week, and you get in your Bible six hours a week, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. You see, your spirit man is enthralled with the presence of Jesus Christ. Your solical man wants to divide Jesus, dissect Jesus. Jesus is for Sundays. Jesus is for Wednesdays. But Jesus isn't for the workplace. Jesus doesn't affect what I watch on TV. Jesus doesn't affect what I, the music I listen to. Can I tell you this? If, it doesn't, if something doesn't draw you closer to Jesus, then why engage in that activity? I'm going to tell you something. It's time to get on fire, to be enthralled with, to get immersed in Jesus Christ. People, I, I tell you, oh, Jesus. You see, when you're hungry for God, is when you're going to get God. And I tell you, the more I get God, the more I'm hungry for God. And the more I'm hungry for God, the more I get God, the more I get God, the more I'm hungry for God. We're going to pray at the end of this session for you to be hungry. But I'm going to give you some wisdom right now. How do you get hungry? The, I tell you, one of the main ways you get hungry is to eat of Him. I tell you, when you eat a good steak, if you've never had a steak before and all you had is bologna, Really, you, you grew up on, on bologna sandwiches. You grew up, glory to God, you know, in regards to th that's all you ate. I tell you what, that's all you know. But I tell you what, when you start eating steak, when you start ending into eating steak, you know, you say, my gosh, I'm, I'm not, I can't eat bologna sandwiches for supper anymore because I've tasted the steak. Man, you need to get to a place where you experience the Shekinah, weighty, Awesome, open presence of God. You need to eat of the word of God in a way that it's just like Jesus appeared to you. Here's something that excites me. Most people, I'm just getting gut level with you. You know, they did, a Gallup did a survey recently and they said the average person that calls himself a Christian reads the Bible less than 10 minutes a week. That's called shameful. And that's why the devil destroys lives. But I tell you what, the, the Bible teaches that the highest form of revelation is correlative or akin to, to, to having a vision, literally seeing Jesus Christ. I mean, when you, oh, Jesus. I tell you, when you eat of the word of God, John six fifty seven says this, even as I have eaten of the Father and live by him, so he who eats of me will live likewise and live by me. Can I tell you something? You can eat of Jesus even as Jesus ate of the Father. Wow. Wow. And see, but you've got to eat to understand how glorious eating is. Hallelujah. You've got to eat to understand how glorious eating is. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you, we need to understand just how awesome glory, uh, and glorious life is. Uh, oh, hallelujah. 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 
Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, you can sense my excitement. And what I want to get across to you is this. Taste of Jesus. When you taste of Jesus, you're going to get more hungry for Jesus. And the more hungry you get, the more you're going to get. And the more you get again, it's just a cycle of glory. Now, what I want to get across to you is this. When we enter into this type of lifestyle, there are people that are there are people that are going to say you're fanatical. There are people that are going to say you can't live like this. There are people that are going to say that, you know, it's just too much. But I'm here to tell you this. Jesus Christ died for you to enter in to him in a way that you are so enthralled with Jesus. You are so caught up with Jesus that temptation loses its power simply because you enter into a place where you are spirit and so enthralled with Jesus through your spirit that nothing else, nothing else can take you away from it. Glory to Jesus. Now, another way you get hungry is when you experience the power of God. You know, I'll never forget the first time I was at a Catherine Coleman service. Now, those of you who are younger, you might not know of her ministry. She ministered in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, early 70s before her death at the age of, I believe it was 73. And her meetings were so powerful. I'll never forget, uh, the first time I went to her service was a Good Friday service. It was at the Syrian Mosque in Pittsburgh, and one of my good friends who helped lead me to the Lord, who helped disciple me, said, you know, uh, uh, won't you come with me to a Catherine Coleman healing service? Well, I said, I have no idea what that's like or what it means. But he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll pick you up at 9 o'clock. I said, well, that's fine. Service starts at 10. My house is only 20 minutes from the old Syria mosque uh, in Pittsburgh. It's, it's been torn down since. He said, no, I'm picking you up at 9 o'clock at night. I said, 9 o'clock at night? Why? He said, well, we got to sleep on the street. We got to sleep overnight just to get in. I said, you're serious? He said, I'm very serious. Well, when I got in, I understood why. There was a multitude of people healed. I, I mean, cancer healed in an instant. Cerebral palsy destroyed. I mean, Jesus. I, I, I think just the five young people, I shared a prior that it, before my very eyes, uh, profoundly afflicted with cerebral palsy and healed in a second. You see, when you eat of this, it just causes you to understand what the spirit-filled life is about. You know, when you lead someone to Jesus Christ, wow, what an awesome experience. Man, when you enter in to the true spirit life, I mean, there's nothing that can compare to it. And that's what I want to share with you in our last segment of this session. So often, we're intimidated by what the world seems to have. You know, this person we don't share the gospel with because he has a, a position of seemliness and authority. This person have, has such a great family. This person has money. This person has a reputation. This person has a giftedness and athleticism and the arts or whatever. Can I tell you something? 
If somebody doesn't have Jesus, they don't have anything compared to you. So often the reason that we don't share about Jesus is that we have a solical Jesus. We're a solical Christianity. We have him in part. Can I tell, if you get anything from this session, get this. Jesus' cross does not work in part. You can't take a little bit of Jesus and make it work because he's a jealous God. He will not anoint you. He will not give you his presence unless you're immersed. Immersion is the key. You know, so often we see the word baptize in the Bible and think it has something to do with water. The majority of times you see the word baptize in the Bible has nothing to do with water. Jesus said, can you be baptized with the baptism which I will be baptized with? Did that mean it's going to be dunked three times? Absolutely not. Immersion is the key. And so often in a society of lukewarmness, accommodation and appeasement, the church, it's gone into the church. You've got to be immersed to experience. I want you to go to a verse with me. Exodus 34, 14. I'll never forget a number of years ago when this verse was made real to me. I was on a three-day fast and I wasn't fasting for anything else except to grow more intimate with Jesus. I had no pressing needs. And at the end of three days, I'll be honest with you, I fasted, I sought God, but I didn't seem to get much. And I heard the Lord say, as I was on my knees breaking my fast, I'd not eaten for three days, a full fast. I heard the Lord say, could you give me one more day? And I'll be honest with you, in the back of my mind, I thought, man, it hadn't worked for three days. What's another day going to do? But I didn't say that to the Lord, even though, of course, he knew what I was thinking. But I said, Lord, I'm sorry for thinking that. And I said, uh, yes, Lord. I'll never forget, I fast another day. And as I was breaking my fast, in a very supernatural fashion, the Lord brought me to Exodus 34, 14. And I came across the verse, for thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. And as I did a word study, I began to see that the when it says whose name is jealous in the Hebrew is Yahweh Kenna. Yahweh, Y-A-W-E-H. Kenna, Q-U-E-N-N-A. And it means God isn't just jealous for you. His name is jealous. I mean, it's one thing to like pizza. You know what I'm saying? It's another thing to name your son anchovies. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to like sports. It's another thing to name your son touchdown. God says, I'm not just jealous. My name is jealous. And I begin to see the inward part of God. How he longs for my affection. And daily I have decisions to make. Am I going to choose that movie that I know isn't that good? Or am I going to choose to pray? Am I going to choose to Give myself to the word for an hour and a half? Or am I going to give myself 10 minutes? Am I going to go to the church that I know that people say is fanatical, but the presence of God is there? Or am I going to go to the church where I have uh, businesses, business connections, 
but I know that it's evangelical, but not a hundredfold. Am I going to go into the place, the quiet place with Jesus? Or am I going to go into the place where I secretly, as if God doesn't see me, enter into looking at pornography? Am I going to go on that mission trip? Or aren't I when God's leading me? You see, God is spirit. Jesus died to give you the honor and the privilege to enter in to being a spirit being. And when you enter in to being a spirit being, you eat of God who is spirit. You taste of God who is spirit. You enter into an intimacy with God. You enter into a awesomeness with God that I'll be real honest with you. It's indescribable. It's incomparable. There's nothing like it in the whole world. It is the most awesome thing that there is. It's nothing short of awesome. Hebrews 6 talks about this life. It says, in, it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and partook of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and have tasted of the powers of the world to come that they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Now, this doesn't mean if you're in sin that you can't come back to God, but it means that if you enter into a place, I call it the place of no return, where you have entered into such an intimacy with God, and unfortunately, few people get there when everybody should get there, this is a reality. I'm here to tell you something. Again, the spirit life is unlike anything that the world has to offer. I mean, the world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away. I'm here to let you know that when you perceive spirit life like this in the context of the jealousy of God, as opposed to it being an obligation, and you begin to be able to say to the world, man, what you think is life is nothing but cheap. Sex, sex is awesome because it's created by my God. But it's only awesome when it's anointed through the Holy Ghost and the confines of marriage. When you can say, you know what? You got this, and you got this, and you got this. And you even go to church. But you've never tasted of this. Because if you did, you'd be sharing the gospel like me. It's time to make people jealous about what we have. It's time to start, stop apologizing for sharing the gospel. It's time to minister to the ravished heart of God. Now, I'm going to close this session by saying this. There's nothing like spirit life. 
nothing in the world. It is the reason Jesus died. Again, God is spirit. We had thrown away our spirit that was given to us in the garden. We exchanged it for solical life. But Jesus wanted back for us. That we might taste of God, eat of God, drink of God, eat of his presence, eat of his word, mm, eat of intimacy with him. But most of all, even what I consider greater than that is having the ability to minister to the ravished heart of God. You know what's amazing to me? When you read the book of Leviticus, all through Leviticus, it talks about the priest offering sacrifices which God called the bread of God. You, you, you just, it's all over Leviticus. You see, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And we eat of him but there's something within the heart of God that considers us his bread. But he can only partake of us when we give ourselves to him. Whoever offereth praise glorifies him. The Bible says that my glory rejoices in Psalm 16 and 17. You see, here's the exciting thing to me. When I walk as spirit, I can partake of God who is spirit. But something even more amazing than that, as amazing as that is, when I walk as spirit, he can partake of me. He partakes of my glory, of my spirit through eating of drinking of my worship. He partakes of my obedience as I choose right in the time of trial and temptation. He eats of my obedience when I lay hands on the sick and I feed him with the fruit of his ability to move because he can only move through me, my being his hands and feet as part of the church of Jesus Christ. Someone says he can do whatever he can. John Wesley said this, God needs flesh and bones to work through. Surely he can't do just what he wants. An angel cannot preach. He cannot preach. It's the church that preaches. The Bible says it this way in the first Corinthians, making up for that which is lacking in Christ. What could ever be lacking in Christ? It's the ability to minister the great commission and fulfill it. He gave man the authority, the responsibility, and the ability in Matthew 28, 19. Isn't it an awesome thing to have a spirit that can eat of God, that can drink of God, that can hear God, that can see God, They can actually touch God and partake of God. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 puts it this way. We've been called to partake of his glory. 
we've been given his magnificent and precious promises that we actually might partake of his divinity, his healing virtue, his discipline, his compassion, his forgiveness, his love, his faith, his wisdom, his boldness, his very life. But again, we are not only spirit so we can partake of him. We are spirit so he can partake of us. Is your life spirit? That's why the word of God's given to you. One of the reasons so you can discern, is it spirit or is it soul life? Is it spirit or is it a soul that's just Christianized? Is a spirit? Do you partake and eat of Jesus and live in the deep? Or are you in a realm of lukewarmness, part spirit, part soul? Jesus said, I'll spit you out of your mouth, his mouth, not because he wants to hurt you or condemn you, but because he's so jealous towards you and loves you so much. You see, if you're engaged to somebody, you couldn't take them having eyes for somebody else. See, it would be part commitment and part infidelity. Jesus has called us not to part spirit and part soul. He's called us to fully spirit. Not legalism, but entering into the reality of understanding that fulfilling his heart, the greatest thing about life, life itself, to the spirit man, life is partaking of Jesus and then having Jesus partake of us. There's so much in my heart right now, but I've got to close. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to divide between spirit and soul. Let us see soul as so wrong, unappealing. And instead of being like Adam and Eve, who said it looks good to the eye, it seems like it will be good to the taste. Maybe God has said that he's holding back something from us. Instead of thinking we're missing something, Father God, let us understand we're not missing anything. Through our spirit, we've been given the ability to receive everything because we can partake of you. If you're someone right now and God's dividing through this message, through this session, your spirit from your soul, and you see yourself more inclined to the soul life than spirit life right now, say, Jesus, I want spirit life. I want to eat of you. I want a taste of you. I want to drink of you. And I want you to eat and drink of me. I give you my life. Immerse me in you. I make the decision, Lord, to immerse myself in you. And I receive. You will cause me to eat and drink of you. And you will actually partake of me. I give myself to you. I worship you even now. 
for making me spirit and for giving me the word of God to know what's spirit and what isn't so I can live for you, you who are spirit, even in the confines of your jealous heart.